you're new, I'm Jamie, and uh, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one provided for you in the pew in front of you, and you'll find Luke chapter 14 at the top of page 874. We'll be reading from verse 12 down to verse 24. I'd like to say I'm thankful to have been able to take vacation, and I'm thankful to be back with you all. I've got to say that when I miss church, I miss church, if you know what I mean by that. I love you. I love being here. I love being back with you all. Um, th- we aren't a perfect church, to be sure, uh, but I've got to say Sunday mornings are a feast, and I'm thankful to be back with you all. Pastor Steve, I think, just did a fantastic job in serving us last couple of Sundays. If you haven't listened to our brother's sermons, please go back on the website and listen to Pastor Steve's messages. They are uh, prime rib for your soul. He did a fantastic job. Here at Pickle Baptist, we believe and we teach that um, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the Son of God. He is equal with the Father in essence, subordinate to Him in purpose, that all things were created by Him and that all things were created for Him, that He is supreme over all things, visible and invisible, that He is the God-man with two natures, truly God, truly man, that He lived a sinless life and died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, bearing the judgment of God for their sins, and that He was raised bodily from the dead as a testimony to the sufficiency of His sacrifice and a guarantee of His people's future resurrection. And it is to this man and to His words that we now turn. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. Jesus said to the man who had invited Him, when you give a dinner or banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, How about a field? And I must go see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's more room. 
And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Father, I ask you now that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding as to what we have just now read. I pray that Jesus would be big in our eyes and in our minds, that you would teach us from your word, that you would write this truth upon our hearts, that our lives would bear fruit from knowing these things about our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So says Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Well, I don't know if you've picked up on it yet in our time through Luke's gospel, but Luke's gospel is full of stories of the Lord Jesus eating. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 22, and Luke chapter 24, all of them have stories about the Lord Jesus sharing a meal. In Luke's gospel, it seems like either Jesus is going to a meal, or He's at a meal, or He's coming from a meal. I guess it shouldn't surprise us that much. Meals feature heavily in the Scriptures. God's deliverance of His people out of slavery is commemorated every year by a meal. Three major holidays were required of God's people in the Old Testament, and the Bible calls them feasts. It's no accident, then, that one of the means of grace that God has given to His people to remind them of His death is a meal, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, which we celebrate every week, looks forward to even another meal, which we will share in heaven in the presence of our Lord. In today's call to worship, you heard of God's promise of one such eschatological meal, an end-time feast. Every Christian looks forward with great anticipation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in the passage before us today, the Lord Jesus likens God's salvation to an invitation to a meal, to a banquet. Last Sunday, Pastor Steve explained Jesus' teaching on humility from a parable about a wedding feast. Well, today we continue along that same theme. The Lord teaches us what it takes to enjoy the Lord's feast. And here's the big idea this morning, that you, the lowest and least, have been welcomed into God's eternal feast through Jesus Christ. So compel your fellow cripples to come. That you, the lowest and the least, have been welcomed into God's eternal feast through Jesus. Because of that, we compel our fellow cripples to come. I trust that you'll see that as we work our way through this passage. This this passage builds upon the previous couple of passages. The Lord has taught us some of the dynamics of humility. Last week, we saw when you're invited to a party, don't jockey for position and prominence. And here the Lord flips it. 
And he says, when you're inviting people to a party, don't jockey for position and prominence. And in both situations, let your motivations be on that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. And then, as Jesus often does, he charges us with a command that, left to ourselves, is impossible to keep. And then he tells us how through him we can keep it. So that's, that's the setup for the passage. We'll get into it a little bit at a time. Let's take a look at verses 12 to 14 one more time where we're looking to work for resurrection remuneration. Work for resurrection, remuneration. Verse 12 to 14 again. Jesus said to the man who had invited him, the chief Pharisee, the ruler of the Pharisees, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers and sisters. Don't invite your relatives. Don't invite your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, and then you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. You will be repaid, though, at the resurrection of the just. So we learned back in verse 1 that the ruler of the Pharisees has invited Jesus into his home for a meal. And I think Steve pointed this out last week. It seems that this man's motivation was not just because he wanted to spend time with Jesus, because he admired Jesus, it was to catch Jesus in doing something that would give him cause to accuse him, to discredit him, perhaps even to get him arrested and killed. The Bible says that they were watching Jesus carefully because they admired him, but they were seeking to accuse him. Well, that's not all who they invited to the meal. They also invited a, a person with a disease. Is this because they were gracious and kind and wanted to show hospitality to this person with a disease? No. It was a sting operation to try and stick Jesus. And as Steve showed us last week, it backfired. Here, Jesus addresses the host directly. And he tells him, actually, you should invite people like that man to your festival, to your feast, to your party. Not for the reasons you did, of course. He says in verse 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your neighbors, because they might invite you back. You don't want that. Now, I don't take Jesus to mean that it's a sin for you to invite your friends to a house party. This isn't about whose name or are on the invitations. This is about why whose name goes on the invitations. This is about selective hospitality. It is about generosity with an agenda. It's about issuing invitation to the who's who of society as a way to increase your own reputation and social standing. I think you know this sort of thing is pervasive in humanity started on the elementary school playground, and it worked its way through every stratum of society. Have you ever been in a business meeting where folks are jockeying for position to be on the inner circle with all the bigwigs? Well, I've seen this sort of thing even at Christian conferences, 
the pastor's gatherings. Angling and vying to be accepted in to something C.S. Lewis called the inner ring. The inner ring is not a formally organized secret society with officers and creeds. It doesn't even have a name, and yet everyone knows what it is. The lines delimiting the ring are invisible, yet they are obvious to all. And that's by design. You see, because everyone must know whether they are in the inner ring or whether they're outside the inner ring. It's what gives the ring its power and appeal. And you never get formally admitted into the ring. The rules of admittance are uh, unwritten. No one even talks about the admission process because to do so would be to admit that you are an outsider. And there's something deep in all of us that just needs to be an insider. You might not be able to remember very much from junior high, but you will remember with vivid clarity the feeling of being excluded from some group, cast out of a group. The taste of words like we and us is a powerful drug, and it drives good men to do very bad things. And this is the sort of thing that Jesus warns us about. Don't give your invitation to insiders because the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you would become one. And that would be your payment for your generosity. That would be your reward. Rather, Jesus says, invite those who are on the outside. Verse 13 and 14, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. And he tells you why. Because they can't repay you. So throw a feast for the needy because they have nothing to offer you in return. Blessing upon a person is for the sake of the person. It is agenda-free generosity. It is necessity that drives generosity, not reciprocity that drives generosity. You see, generosity is not an investment in the social stock market. It's an investment in the kingdom of God. How quickly do we forget the Lord's words from back in chapter 6, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And then notice verse 14 ends with a promise. You will be repaid. Not here. Not now, not from them, but at the resurrection of the just. There will be a resurrection remuneration. One often neglected element of Christian teaching is that of eternal rewards. And, and maybe 
we pastors are afraid that we'll spoil humility if we talk too much about eternal rewards. The Scripture is replete with teaching about when you do something in the name of Christ, something as small as even giving a cup of cold water, there's a reward, an eternal reward. See, there's a reward for everything done in the name of Christ. And here's the thing. You can take payment on that reward in this life or in the next, but not both. The Pharisees, they took payment in this life. They sought the praise of man. And Jesus said of them multiple times, they have received their reward. And if we knew the full extent of the rewards that await us in heaven, well, only a fool would settle for the praise of man rather than the pleasure of God. I mean, just think about it. Who would you rather hand out rewards? Those on the inner ring of a dog-eat-dog world or the Lord of heaven and earth? I think on paper, all of us would say the Lord, right? But then our hearts will betray us. The next time that you do good for something else, someone else in the name of Christ, try to do it for the Lord's eyes only, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I promise you, you're going to feel deep inside of you someplace a desire for the taste of that sweet elixir of the esteem of man, to live solely for eternal Reward at the expense of the temporal is a command beyond any of our abilities to obey. The desire to be an insider is too great, and the fear of being an outsider too deep. What the Lord demands of us from these verses is impossible. We can't do it. We need help. But help comes. Help comes to us in the form of another story, another parable, which the Lord tells. Herein lies the answer for how to live for resurrection, remuneration. Let's read verse 15 down to 24 again. And one of those who were reclining at table said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat in the bread in the kingdom of God. And he draws Jesus' attention to him, and Jesus says, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many Time for the banquet. He sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. First said, I bought a field. I got to go out and see it. Can you have me excused? And they said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And third said, I just got married. I can't come. So the servant said and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry. He said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and notice who he asks to bring in, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. Still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go further. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come into my house that it may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, go back up to verse 15. We're not told who 
said this, some nameless guy, probably one of those guys who doesn't care much for awkward silences. I mean, this is definitely not the dinner that this Pharisee was expecting. Their ploy had been foiled by Jesus. The guests had been rebuked for their pride. The host had been exposed for inviting the wrong people. So if you were at this dinner, you'd be thinking to yourself, okay, so I'm the wrong person and I'm sitting in the wrong seat. You'd just been like staring at your food, trying not to make eye contact with people, all the while Jesus is over here chewing on his falafel. And then there's this guy who just pops up in the silence, sort of like, how about a toast? <laughs> Here's to everyone who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Here, here, for we are jolly good fellows. It's like, bro, read the room. He, he draws Jesus' attention to him, and Jesus tells a story. A man throws a party, and he invites lots of people. Now, you need to understand the way that banquets would have worked in those days. Invitations would go out many days in advance of the actual party, and people were expected to RSVP to the party. It's a, it was important then for the same reasons that it's important now. You need to know how many place settings and how many tables and, and, and how much food to prepare. On Friday, my family and I went to a graduation party where the chef, they had a chef who served smoked salmon and duck at a graduation party. So they needed to know how many people so they didn't run out of duck, as one does. When Emma graduated, I think we made nachos, so yeah, there it is. When, one, of the one of the scariest things that can happen when you're hosting a dinner party is running out of food. And so you need the people to tell you that they're going to be there so you can provide enough food. This is way before the days where they could just run to Kroger or order pizza if they ran out. So when the time of the banquet came, the master sends his servant back out to all the people who had RSVP'd and to let them know, come, everything is ready. The party's ready to start. The animals have been slaughtered. There's mutton. There's beef spare ribs. It's been cooked to perfection. You've got green beans and mac and cheese warming. It's going to be a great time. Verse 18, those who had been invited began to make excuses. The first guy says, I just bought a field. I've got to go check it out. I can't come. Now, now think about this for a second. What kind of excuse is this? Like who buys a field without first seeing it? Real estate transactions back then, they would have taken a long while, weeks, perhaps months. You would have had plenty of time to look at this. The field's a field. It's not going anywhere. It'll be there tomorrow. This is a lame excuse. And the next guy, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go check them out, examine them. I can't come. Again, no one buys oxen without first inspecting them. That's like saying, I just bought a used car. I got to go test drive it. Well, you got something backwards. Everybody knows that the first thing you do before you buy a used car is you go walk around the car, kick the tires a little bit. Even if you don't know anything about cars, you guys know how it is. You pop the hood, you look at it, and you're just like, that six cylinders, it looks like they're all there. I mean, you just at least have like some idea that like this is going to run before I give you my money. But that's not what this guy does. I just bought some oxen. I got to go check them out. The third, I can't come 
because I just got married. Also, that's a lame excuse, because I thought like what half of marriage is, is going to banquets you don't really want to go to anyway. And he's saying, I can't go because I'm married. All three men, the point is that all three men have RSVP'd to a party, and when the time came, they make excuses for why they can't come. Got more important things to do. Watering the lawn, weeding the garden, watching Jeopardy reruns. Dumb excuses. It would have been shameful in those days. You see, the real reason they can't come is because they don't want to come. And that's the point Jesus is making. They don't respect the master of ceremony. They don't care about him and they don't care about his banquet. And so the servant returns with the excuses in hand and informs the master. And in verse 21, we see the master is angry. Who who wouldn't be? You have all of this food that you prepared upon the promise of those people who said they would come and they've backed out. And he's not about to let all this food go to waste. So he sends his servant back out. He says, go to the streets. Go to the lanes of the city. And notice who he tells him to invite. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Same four groups of people that appeared in Jesus' instruction earlier. Interesting, huh? Same four. The same four who can't repay. So hang on to that. We'll circle back to that in a minute. So Jesus is back in the dinner. He's telling this story. His dinner guests would have been shocked by this story. It's preposterous. Multiple things are preposterous. This is an honor culture. You don't RSVP to a party and then back out at the last minute for lame reasons. Besides, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, they do not associate with those in the higher echelons of society. So for them to be invited to a man's feast, a rich man's feast, would have been just as absurd as those who were invited rejecting the invitation. Well, guess what happens in Jesus' story? The poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, they come. I mean, when else are they going to get a chance to feast with a rich man in his own crib? Probably some of them thought it was a trick. Why would he invite me? What did I do to earn this invitation? But this invitation is not based on anything in the recipient. This is based upon the goodness and generosity and the bounty of the host. You see, all the guests had to do was show up with hungry bellies and feast. And many do. But as we learn from the servant, there's still more room in the man's house. He must have had a big house. So the master sends his servant out again. Go get more. This time, I want you to go further away. Go to the highways, to the hedges, to the outskirts of society, and compel people to come to my feast. I want my house full. Now, I think Jesus ends the parable in verse 23, not verse 24. 
I don't think verse 24 is the master in the story addressing the servant in the story. I think this is Jesus addressing the guests at the dinner. And the reason is not easy to see in the English. The word you in verse 24 is plural. You can't see that in English because English is not a very precise language. I, I, I guess I kind of wish that English translators would just ask our Texan brothers and sisters to put y'all in the places where you is plural in the Bible. It would really help as long as that's all they do because nobody wants to read fixinta in their Bible so they can just do the one word but no other words. So the word you in verse 24 is plural. He's saying you all. So verse 24 is not the master speaking to the servant. This is Jesus addressing everyone at the table. It means then that he's applying this parable to himself. He's saying, I'm the master. Because he says, none of the men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is making himself out to be the master in this story. So what's the point? What's the point of Jesus' story? Well, there's an immediate first century meaning, and then there's a meaning for everyone. And the meaning of the first century is that the leaders of Israel, who've received the invitation to God's banquet through Moses and through the prophets, have rejected the Messiah. They will not enter the kingdom of God, and they will not feast at the table of God. But rather those who have accepted the invitation, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the lowest and least, they will feast forever in the kingdom of God and of His Christ. That's the immediate meaning. That's the first century meaning. So what's the meaning to us today? It's pretty well the same. Who will feast at the table of the Lord? Who will enjoy His generous bounty age upon age without end? will be the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the lowest and least who have accepted the master's invitation and those who make excuses, who reject the invitation, will not taste of the banquet. And you see, here we see the true threat to eternal life, making something or someone other than God more central, more controlling in your life than God Himself. Just consider those three men and their excuses. The first bought a field. Will money, will the acquisition of wealth keep you from accepting the invitation to the Lord's feast? Is money, the presence of it or the lack of it, become a controlling influence? In your life. The second man says he bought five yoke of oxen. Have career aspirations and business successes become more central in your life than the things of God? Has climbing the corporate ladder occupied a greater space in your heart than even the Lord? Has busyness with work and hobbies kept you from participation in the life of the church? and the advance of the gospel. Maybe it's not money. 
Maybe it's not work. Maybe it's not even hobbies. Maybe your excuse is more like the third guy. Maybe it's family. Has family become more important to you than the kingdom of God? Pastor, I thought family was a good thing. Family is a good thing. So is business. So is land. But even a good thing, when treated like a God thing, becomes a bad thing. So for more on that, let me invite you to come back next Sunday as we consider those matters a little bit more deeper. Spend time this week in verses 18 to 20. Ask the Lord to expose your heart to the light of His Word. For what are your excuses? What things in your life have you given controlling influence? What things are keeping you from responding to God's call of your, upon your life? Well, if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I just say to you, you need to stop making excuses. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sin. God sent His own Son to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And He was laid in a grave and God rose Him from the dead three days later as a proof that His sacrifice has been accepted. And when you turn to Him in faith, your sin is lifted off of you and placed on Him. And the richness of His own righteousness is credited to you. Besides, you need to know that no amount of money, no amount of business success, not even family, can give you what you need. The acceptance and approval and validation and security that you're seeking cannot be found in any of those things. It can only be found in God Himself through Jesus Christ. So after the service is over today, find someone who's regular here. Find someone who looks like they know their way around this place. Tell them you'd like to become a Christian. We'll begin meeting with you, talking with you, sharing with you how to follow Christ, how to have peace, how to find acceptance, approval, validation, and security. Do that today. Well, earlier I told you that Christ has called us to live our whole life for eternal rewards and not for temporary rewards. That we're not to waste our lives seeking validation, approval from temporary things. And then I said that left to ourselves, this is an impossible thing. No one, no one can do this. Well, this, this story tells us how in Christ we can. So Jesus told us, show generosity to those who can't repay you, to the poor, to the crippled, to the blind, to the lame. Why those four? And why are they mentioned twice? Well, think about it. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Is that not an apt description of our lives without Christ? After all, what did our sin do to us but make us spiritually poor, bankrupt, crippled us 
spiritually speaking. It blinded us. In spiritual darkness, we can't see ourselves as we truly are, and we certainly can't see the beauties of our Savior. We are paralyzed, lame, unable on our own to make our way to our God to be healed or rescued. And the message of the gospel is that God sent His Son to rescue us, that Jesus healed us. He opened our eyes to our sin and to His glory, and He stood us up and gave us life and gifted us the riches of His own righteousness. And this was not because we deserved it, but because He was abundantly gracious. Cripples we are, made whole by the Master. We've received mercy from the Master. We've been welcomed to His table. We who were once far off have been brought near. Once we were outsiders, but because of Christ, we've been made insiders into the innermost of all the rings. And thus, we are free from the need to seek payment from the other rings, from those of high social standing. We don't need to fear being rejected by any man because we've been accepted by the God-man. We are free from this fear, and so therefore we can live happy and invite the poor and the lame and the blind, our fellow cripples, compelling them to come to their Creator. We can let go of the jockeying for position and maneuvering in order to be seen by others. We can work and serve and give without strings, without hidden agendas. We can expect no payment in this life because we know that God sees us and He will repay us in the next. PBC, we are cripples called by Christ to compel the lost to come. And so we can go to the streets and to the lanes of the city. We can go to the highways and to the hedges. We can go to the business meetings and family gatherings and golf outings and to our neighbors, rich or poor. We can go to the nations, to the unreached. We can compel fellow cripples to come and feast on the Lord's bounty. We go and we keep going until the house of God is filled with humble, happy cripples, worshiping their Savior, feasting upon the rich delights at the table of God. Let's do so with joy. Let's pray. Father God, Lord in heaven and earth, come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master, our soon-coming King, Would you hear us as we pray? Father, in your word, you have exposed us to our sin. And by your spirit, you have granted us conviction to look upon the cross of Jesus. Forgive us, your people. Lord, we admit that we've given too much thought to temporal rewards rather than to eternal ones. We've wasted our days in seeking to advance our cause, neglecting to spend ourselves upon yours. Our hands are filthy 
with self-promotion. Preferring the sound of our own voice to the sound of your word. We're drunk with an overblown sense of our own importance. We give, but so that we can get. We do, but so that we can be seen. Have mercy on us. And enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in silent humility. To live in the exalting praise of God and the encouragement of others. Let us truly consider others more significant than ourselves. Let us give grace to those who rub us the wrong way. Enable us to respond to your call upon our lives, to pray, to serve, and to give of our time and our talents and our treasures to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. And finally, Lord, send us. Send us with the good news of Jesus Christ to the highways and hedges, to the streets and lanes of the city, to the unreached, and to compel sinners to come and to take a seat at your table and to feast. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon at the end of our services. We seek God's word for an assurance that he has heard us in our prayer of repentance and will forgive us. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. Here's your promise. He will abundantly pardon. Brother, please lead us one more song.